0: Baldry's beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Happy Friday, everyone. Happy Friday to you, too. So, we've talked a lot about back to school, Mm sort of winding up the final week, the first week of school. And one of the big changes, of course, is the report cards for kids, kindergarten through grade nine. No more A, B, Cs, or Ds. Letter grades are being dropped, bringing in these written descriptors instead. And we're going to be talking about this later on the show. I'm going to be bringing on a, a concerned parent. Very got three kids in public school. He's active in his kids' pack at his school. Super involved, and he's concerned about it. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll get into this today. This is interesting. I had I spoke to the opposition critic on this yesterday, Eleanor Sterko, uh, from BC United Education Critic, and I asked her. She was critical of dropping letter grades. Yep. So I asked her specifically, "What would you guys do?" Here's what she said: We would reinstate letter grades. We right. find this to be too vague of a grading system. Okay, so very clear. She says they would bring it back. They would reinstate the letter. Yeah, from.
1: it's not a bad issue for the opposition. I mean, this sort of snuck up on everyone. Didn't get a lot of attention. There was a consultation round, which in fact showed most parents and teachers opposed this idea. Oh, the wow. ones that were consulted. Uh, so it's early in the school year. We haven't seen the first report card yet. So this is a developing issue. Um, and one has to wonder. I mean, the NDP sort of created this out of nowhere. Uh, no one. I, didn't, I don't recall any hankering great public outcry that letter grades had to be abolished. There's always criticism attached with any marking system, any grading system that's been around for years. The BC Teachers Federation has been fighting those standardized tests forever. Um, But this one just out of the blue, like, whoa, we're going to abolish letter grades. Again, they did this in the early nineties, Yeah, huge public uh, backlash and ended up changing the education ministry and getting rid of and bringing back letter grades. Yeah. It was a different system back then that they implemented. It's different than the ones, this one with these new four categories seem to be even vaguer, I believe, than the one that was tried in the nineties, but we'll see how this develops in the school year. This could be a real public backlash or it could be, a, you know, what firecracker. Yeah. I have a feeling that it's not a bad issue for the United to raise as something to oppose the government. On. Although
0: I also wonder if it's one of those classic kind of omelets that you can't unscramble once it's been put in. And if, and, and if, You know, we're really getting way ahead of ourselves here after another election. If this B.C. United Party did somehow form government here, even though the NDP are leading in the polls right now, would they actually do this? Would they actually say, "Okay, forget about that. We're going back to this other system
1: now. Well, I think because the NDP government did exactly that in the 90s, it can be undone. I mean, I think it'd be pretty easy to bring back a letter grade system because it's been there for so long. Um, I'm not I don't think this is an election defining issue, but it's something it could go. Who knows? It could completely blow up. It's interesting how many people I've talked to, even some coworkers, whose kids have actually been in this type of system, this this non-letter grade system, for years. Mm -hmm. So a lot of schools and districts have experimented with this non-letter grade system for a long time. So it's not like it's out of the blue for for a number of parents. It's been there for a long time. But um, I think the BC United is right to, to jump on this because it's still early days. It's not completely defined. I know you're going to have Blair King on, yes, who I actually suggested to you. So I yes. follow him on Twitter, um, and he's uh, he's very exercised about this, his own personal experience on. Yeah, this. so well, and I'm sure he's not alone.
0: Yeah, that'll be coming up in the final hour of the show. Okay, let's talk about the uh, wildfire response, and you had the federal minister responsible here, Harjit Sajjan. Federal Minister of Emergency Preparedness, more resources, right, for, mm-hmm. for, for wildfires. He said something really interesting I'll play in a minute here, but what, is, what are your thoughts on the Fed stepping in here with some more resources?
1: Well, I think they have to. I think they realize the pressure's on here. All governments have to step up and respond to this. But it's interesting this, he didn't talk about this yesterday, I don't think, but this call for a sort of, sort of national firefighting force mm. um, seems to not be going away. But, again, I don't see any pickup in the B.C., um, government, they've they've bolstered the BC Wildfire Service, yeah. which is substantially larger than it was a few years ago. I think there's got 2,500 employees there fighting the fires, and that's way more than it was a few years ago. So I think BC's gone all in on the BC Wildfire Service. And I know there's been talk of a national service. I, I'm not sure that's going to fly. But Sajan now, I think, is realizing these fires are problematic, and it's interesting how he tied it to climate change yesterday.
0: Yes, Climate change, and also, I think, the politics around it as well. Carbon taxes, too. This is all percolating in the background here. Have a listen to how he describes it here. So this is Justin Trudeau's emergency preparedness minister, B.C. minister, Harjit Sajjan. So here he is talking yesterday about fighting climate change. Listen to how he phrases this here.
1: We all know that Canadians deserve leaders who aren't afraid to face climate change uh, in our country. These wildfires have filled our air with smoke and turned our skies red. And this is a reality, and it is happening now. Canadians can't afford to look away.
0: Canadians can't afford to look away from these wildfires. They need leaders who are willing to confront. He's talking about Polyev here, right, in the Conservatives. Oh,
1: yeah, I think so. And again, you're going to see this type of language uh, develop over the next few a couple years, and they'll lead up to the next election. So Dev has gone all in on axe the tax. Yeah. And the conservatives are meeting in Quebec this weekend. Uh, there's going to be a lot of talk about getting rid of the carbon tax before it really gets off the ground. Kind of a different issue in BC where we've had the carbon tax for 15 years. Yeah. Uh, and it's much greater part of the, the government budget now than what the, uh, the Trudeau liberals are talking about. The liberals will also point out they've got a whole bunch of rebates associated with the carbon tax, which yes. makes it a sort of a... Um, uh, sort of uh, income-out, income-in type of thing for most people. That's their argument. But I think you're going to see the dividing line between the Conservatives and the Liberals is going to be, that fault line is going to be the carbon tax and the issues that flow from that. And the Liberals are going to go on in the carbon tax on fighting climate change. Yeah. Conservatives are going to bet at the end of the day, Canadians do want to fight climate change, but they don't want to take that personal sacrifice of paying money to fight it, and that's the carbon tax.
0: Yeah, it, it's, uh, I think that's exactly what's going on. This is the political debate that's being set up, because Polyev, I think, feels that he's got a winner here on this axe the tax, especially in this economy, and the Liberals are going to have to try and find some way to defend it, and they're going to frame it as a, as a, car, as yeah, a and, climate change issue and bring up wildfires and, yep. and all the other, de- and, all the and other problems.
1: Polyev will try to frame it as a wallet issue. Yeah, this is taking money out of your wallet. So, right. so when the BC uh, carbon tax was introduced in 2008, I believe, and I think full time was 2009, inflation was one or two percent a year. Affordability, housing was still within sight for many people. Yeah. There wasn't a rental crisis. There wasn't that affordability crisis back then. In fact, that crept up over the years as our carbon tax got bigger and bigger. The problem the Trudeau Liberals have, they're sort of getting, they're introducing this and bringing it in at a time. When interest rates are high, inflation's high, housing's out of reach, all these things in your wallet are disappearing, and now the carbon tax appears. And even though so many people laud the carbon tax because it is an instrument to fight climate change... Poliev is going to try to take advantage of the fact that a number of Canadians, when they look at the affordability issue, look at that particular tax as one more tax they don't want to pay.
0: I think it's going to be very difficult for Trudeau and the Liberals here. Now, this when that clip we played there from Harjit Sajjant, he did not call Poliev an arsonist like Catherine McKenna <laughs> oh, yeah. did. The former Liberal cabinet minister called Poliev an arsonist because he wants to get rid of the carbon tax. But they're trying to frame it as... You know, you're not worried about these wildfires by scrapping yeah. this tax. I'm not sure Canadian, a lot of voters are going to see it that way.
1: No, I, I, and that's the challenge for the Liberals. And, and yeah. you're going to see, already we're seeing them refocus their attack on Poliev. Yeah. And it's interesting, I opened my e- email today, inbox, and what first thing I see is a, a news release from the NDP, usually going after the Trudeau Liberals. This one's going after Pierre Polyev. Poliev, yeah. And I think you're going to see the NDP as well realize they've got a lot more to lose if Poliev gains traction than if Trudeau continues to be their business partner.
0: Okay, let's finish up with cell phones in the classroom here. Now, should spell- cell phones be banned in B.C. school classrooms? Once again, Eleanor Sterko, the B.C. United MLA, on yesterday's show. Have a listen. We would enforce a K-12 classroom ban during non-instructional time on smartphones. We believe it does enhance student engagement. We also hear from parents. Right. But they are concerned, you know, their I kids she, are spending a lot meant of time instructional on smartphones time. and they want yeah. to make sure that they're getting the of instructional time. time. Yeah. yeah, so when she said non-instructional yeah. time, she misspoke she meant, there. I
1: think she meant instructional
0: time. She does. she does. She's talking about a ban on cell phones so during class time.
1: Here's a logistical question someone posed to me last night, um, a former journalist who points out, we all go into a budget lockup yeah. every year. There's about 60 of us, reporters. We all have to give up our cell phones, yeah. just like if you go into a classroom. We don't throw them into a bin. They're, in, they're Put into a, on a table with individual markers, and staff give them back to us. So, what's going to happen in a classroom with thirty kids throwing their phones into a bin at the end of class? How long does it take to get those phones back into the hands of the kids? Is it like a feeding frenzy at the at the, uh, <laughs> at well, the bin in front of the class? Well, there will be
0: also be an option to keep your phone locked up, zipped up in your backpack or or a purse or something. Well, and we'll set see. On, I mean, uh, like
1: when they say a ban. Yeah. What does a ban mean? Does yeah. a ban mean you cannot bring it into the classroom, period? Yeah. Or is it you can have it in your backpack? I mean, and then it goes off. and then, So, I mean, we're early days on something like this. But I think the logistics of a cell phone ban haven't been thought through yet. I think yeah. one's probably going to come. I don't think it's got government edict. But I think you're going to see school districts and schools, particularly senior schools, embrace this. Yes, uh, Once it catches fire... Um, I think it's it's literally going to catch fire. Okay. But again, the logistics how do you how do you reclaim the phones at the end of class? It's going to take twenty minutes for kids to get their phones and then every be, class and then be late and then, to then the do next it again at the next class. Yeah, yeah.
0: Keith Baldry is my guest. Right to your phone calls here, Chris and Langley. Hi, Chris. Go ahead. Hey guys, just on the carbon tax. You know, like personally, I don't mind paying the carbon tax. I think we need to do something to uh, fight climate change, hundred percent. But I think where the government fails is is to explain what that tax is going, where it's going. It's just, to most people, it just goes into the void. And, uh, you know, then it can be, uh, you know, explained away as just a, a tax grab and a scam. You know, show me, uh, like your producer said, show me a pie chart. Show me where this money is going. If it's going to rebates, fine. What rebates? And how are we fighting co- climate change with it? Um, and, and show me some mm-hmm. kind of progress with that money. And it goes with all taxes. You know, the government yeah. spends all this money, collects all this money, and says they need more. But well, They don't tell us and show us where it all goes, and, and yeah. it's a bit frustrating.
1: I think those are all valid points. And I think the Liberals have not done a good job federally of explaining the carbon tax in great detail. They talk about rebates, but it's sort of, I think, lost on a lot of people, how you actually realize, though, it's framed as a, it's almost like this motherhood, do-good thing. It's it's good for all of us because it's going to help fight climate change. Trust us, it's going to do what we want it to do. But I think there's skepticism of government, introduction of any tax. And you have to explain where it's going, what the money it's raised is being spent on. In BC, it's interesting. The first year, of the carbon tax, which was just a half year measure at a relatively low tax, if you recall, um, was five cents a liter. It was a low number at the beginning. Yeah. Anyways, it was 300 million a year. Yeah. Then it went up to like seven hundred million. Which the NDP opposed. They opposed vociferously, they and that was a big issue in the two thousand nine election, yeah. and they lost. Yes, the public had their heads around. Now the carbon tax has significantly increased since two thousand nine. It now raises almost two point four billion dollars a year in revenue. Amazing. It was originally supposed to be. Revenue neutral and that it was tied to a tax cut. Yeah. Well, those days ended of revenue neutrality a number of years ago. So yeah. now the carbon tax in B.C., it's just simply part of the tax pie. Yeah. Um, the government is, make it clear, they're spending a lot of money on measures to fight climate change. There's yeah. no question. Uh, and they can argue that a big chunk of that $2.4 billion is being spent. On, on climate changes, oh. climate changes. Yeah, sure. I'm not sure all of it is being spent. I the don't...
0: only the only problem is emissions are not going down; they're going no. the other way, right? And so when so when the other li- so when the listener says like, "Okay, show me how it's working. Show me the impact." Well, yeah. this is the problem for the government. It doesn't seem to be working. The emissions no. are still going up.
1: And then the other you're going to see. I think Polio will raise this argument: as long as China and India and some of these other countries are the big emissioners in terms of increases, yeah. does Canada what Canada does with a carbon tax does it really have an impact? On the global stage, right. at the time when you're asking Canadians to pay this particular tax, yeah. again, a lot of liberals and the Democrats are going to hate this, but have may be onto something
0: here. Yeah, Steve in Coquitlam. Hi, Steve. Go ahead. Hey, how you guys doing today? Uh, yeah, Good. I mean, well, if Canada stops sending coal to China, maybe that would be a start.
1: You know. Um, anyways, as far as cell phones in class, I say completely ban them. They're not going to be paying attention, providing they have this device in their hand that's pretty much running their lives. And if they do manage to ban them, I think we go back to passing notes in class like we
0: used to do in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Old school.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you got right. yeah. Thank- the
0: Best days, but Thank you for that.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think, as I say, the cell phone ban seems to have been a new topic for the school year. Yeah. And I have a feeling we'll be talking about this throughout the school year because I do think you're going to see other schools... Uh, talk about this school districts individual classrooms are going to have different different uh, rules and it's yeah. it's something just the beginning it's of a
0: patchwork right now. this government doesn't seem to want to get involved in any kind of provincial policy I don't,
1: on. I don't detect it. it's interesting no. that the BC United which traditionally is a the old BC liberals a party that doesn't like government intervention on things That's they want the, they want the
0: school districts to decide
1: usually it. but now the liberals, the United called them the liberals the United <laughs> is talking about themselves diving in and as a government like restoring letter grades and yeah. then as a the government bringing in a law yeah. or a regulation yeah. banning cell phones. That party's is not usually about regulation or laws. Yeah,
0: good point. Let's go to Nina in Ladner. Nina, you got 30 seconds here, okay?
1: Okay. Um, just um, when the carbon tax came in, there was uh, gas prices were fairly high, but nothing compared to today. If what Can they not freeze the carbon tax when we started this carbon tax? Because then it's just going up. The prices have gone up. We're paying it on the highest prices of gas, gasoline mm. today. I think something needs to be done there. Thank yeah. you. Very good point. That goes to my earlier point. The carbon tax today is not like the carbon tax 15 years ago. Not just because the price has gone up. Because when it's part of an overall affordability question, as the caller says, that price of gas was is a lot higher today than it was in 2008 when the carbon tax was first introduced. It's now a bigger piece of the pie of what you pay at the pump than it was at a time when your economic pie is shrinking in so many other places. And that's why the carbon tax is vulnerable.